I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. What do superstars Queen Latifah, Vanessa Williams, Jennifer Hudson, and supermodels Tyra Banks, Iman, and Naomi Campbell all have in common? They've relied on the expert hand of makeup artist Sam Fine to look their most glamorous. Fine, a Chicago native and self-described New Yorker, has work has appeared on the covers and pages of Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, Essence, Vibe, and Marie Claire. He was chosen as the first African-American spokesperson for Revlon and CoverGirl Cosmetics. He's the author of best-selling book, Fine Beauty, Beauty Basics and Beyond for African-American Women and Fine Beauty. Sam is an industry pioneer in education, product development, and beauty for African-American women and women of color all over the world. Sam, welcome in my chair. This is a Thank real Thank you. Thank you for having me. This oh, is going to be fun. It is. I followed you for a long time um, because, <laughs> you know, you always want to stock your kit and be able to like work with everyone. It was, it was always important to me in the beginning of my career to be able to do anyone who sat in my chair. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to learn makeup in the studio. So you actually, in some way, was a more diverse clientele than I have now is that you had to be prepared for every skin tone, every woman to walk in. And so you couldn't just do nail it on the white girls and then have a black model or celebrity and be like, oh, you know, sorry. Well, that, so, that's, yeah, that's, that's great of you. There's still many who, <laughs> well, uh, who, who, who feel, who, who do that exact, uh, uh, dance, but, but I hear you and I applaud you for that. And I think I first knew about you, um, because you, didn't you work on black opal cosmetics? I did. I okay. Did. I so those are like a staple in a lot of people's kit. And, yeah. but, okay. Let's go back here. So you started doing makeup in, in the, was it the early nineties or? Actually I moved to New York, uh, for good in 89. Okay. I moved to New York initially when I was 17 to pursue fashion illustration. I've been artistic my entire life. I've drawn my entire life. And that led me to the Art Institute of Chicago, my junior year in high school. And that's where it came clear, became clear to me that I wanted to be an illustrator and that I could actually make money for doing something I loved. Um, moved to New York when I was 17 with my best friend who wanted to be a designer, uh, fell on my tail, came back home. But within that time, I got a job offer from a cosmetic company uh, that I uh, was working for, Naomi Sims Cosmetics. And they said, we're about to open up this counter, uh, 34th Street at Ab- Abraham and Strauss, A&S uh, Plaza. Bless you. Time. <laughs> but you don't mean 34th Street in New York? Yes. Oh. This was my return. You. Yeah. Okay. This was my return. So they were opening up their first cosmetic counter at ANS Plaza. And um, they said, Do you want to come back? And it was always my my goal to return. And I came back uh, for ANS Plaza and worked at the Naomi Sims counter at uh, 19 years old. Wow. So can you paint a picture? Because now we're in this age where everything's available. You know, you can go online. If you've never even touched a black person's face, you can watch a tutorial about it. You can see uh-huh. all the tricks of Sam Fine and every other amazing makeup artist out there. What was it like when you were starting out? Like, mm-hmm. were there other black makeup artists that you could look up to? And how did you learn without the help of tutorials? Wow. You know, being an illustrator, first and foremost, helped me tremendously. Um, talking about contouring and highlighting, I mean, that was so much of what I had learned as an artist, as an illustrator. 
So I was familiar with makeup. Um, I didn't think that it was a career for me. I just felt like it would be a fun job. You know, I used to work at Lord and Taylor, uh, when I was in Chicago and I, I made friends with everybody in cosmetics cause I was on the same floor. We we're all on the first floor. And I always thought like, you know, not only was it glamorous, um, it's all these beautiful people, but, um, it seemed like an easy job and fun. I enjoy enjoy people. I'm a people person. So I thought it would be a, a, a you know, a wonderful um, job to have. And so I fell into it, really. Um, my best friend at the time, Joseph Hampton, uh, lived in Chicago. We met, um, I'm sorry, he lived in New York. We met in Chicago um, because Chicago was a, a, a big commercial market. So he would come to Chicago pretty often. And I met him through a model friend of mine because I was an illustrator working with a designer, uh, working, you know, going to the Art Institute of Chicago and uh, met Joseph and told him my dream was to come to New York to be an illustrator. And when I moved here, um, you know, we became fast friends, of course, but he was a makeup artist that I could ask about different things because I worked behind the cosmetic counter, but I really didn't have an understanding of color and texture and, and things of that nature. I was an artist, but I didn't know, understand this medium. Because it's on a person rather than on a canvas. Yes. Right. Yes. And they move and talk and now they use cell phones and iPads and so forth. But yeah, then it was, you know, it was, it was the, 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 the 3d, portion of it for me that I really needed to learn. There's so many colors, there's so many nuances, there's so many personalities to beauty. Um, so he helped to, to teach me the basics. Um, and sometimes, you know, when later in my career, when I started uh, working and, and, you know, maybe it was a music video or something and I was able to have an assistant, you know, he would generously join me and literally give me the color that I was to use on that model because I didn't have that sense of color yet. That's was he black? Yes, sorry, yes, yes, yes. I'm okay. sorry. Joseph is black. Um, but, you know, he also introduced me to Fran Cooper's work, which was omnipresent in Elle magazine with Jill Ben-Simon. Um, I uh, assisted uh, Fran Cooper. Later on, I was introduced to her. What a, what a, you know, a, a wonderful connect there um, to watch someone's work and then to be introduced by, um, you know, a friend in the industry, a fellow, uh, right. you know, a, a hairstylist in the industry, um, but also Gianna, uh, who also worked for Elle uh, a, a great deal with Gilles. Um, but or the only reason I asked if he was black was that no, it's important. You, got, you got to see what he was using yes. on certain models. And yes. were people doing great black skin when you started out? Well, define great black skin. That's 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 measured by um, the product that's available to them. So in, the, in those days, we were buying Posner and 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 uh, Floyd Roberts and and Black Radiance, and everything was really more drugstore driven. You didn't have many premier brands in department stores. And of course, nothing then was professional at all. I worked for Naomi Sims Cosmetics. So she that was one of the first brands that 
to me, if I had to make a comparison for people who don't know the brand, it was the Bobby Brown of its era. It, okay. Everything that Bobby Brown did in yellows and browns and really pulling that pink and red out of foundations, um, Naomi Sims did it first. Um, created by Byron Barnes, another uh, a wonderful black makeup artist, I had the opportunity to I had the opportunity to know. Um, so John Kelman Greer, Al Grundy, there were a number of artists that um, that you become a part of the community uh, once you once you enter into this fold. Do you remember making mistakes, like working on <laughs> skin specifically? <laughs> you mean yesterday or just right. like the beginning? Um, yes, yes, I would, I would, um, I started my career testing, obviously, you know, right. talk about going back and talking about what the experiences were like. And you said 19 questions. It's true. There's so many experiences that we don't have to have today. We, uh, these kids today get a chance to jump through, um, so many levels of kind of, uh, the learning process. Um, for me, it was testing. Uh, meeting photographers, dropping off portfolios, building a book that I could leave a portfolio with Essence Magazine or send to Vogue or send to clients or music clients who wanted to see your work. There was no social media at the time. So it was about creating a portfolio of your work. And so testing, I would always come home with questions to Joseph and just say like, you know, hey, I used this cream foundation, but then I set it with a dual finish powder. And because I love dual finish from Lancome at the time, it was beautiful and I love the payoff, but it was breaking up. It would separate. I could see it separating after a certain period of time. He was like, no, no, you can't, it, it won't work. You can't use two, two coverage products together in that way because you're not really officially setting the foundation. You are, um, you're, 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 you're layering two coverage products in, you know, in, 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 in many ways. So, I would always make mistakes, but that was the only way to learn. Even when right. I, I worked with Naomi Campbell, who was my first celebrity client, um, she would take the pencil from me and show me. She said, no, Sam, Sam it's, got to, it's got to be more like me. But it was love. It was love there. It wasn't, I didn't take it. I, I wasn't offended by it. You know, I also realized that models and celebrities, you know, well, models especially, their beauty is a form of commerce. So to look their best is to book another job, to look great on the runways, to, um, you know, uh, bring attention to editors who are, you know, you know, watching the show. So I understood that this was something very important. When you had your first contract with a cosmetic brand, what were the shade ranges available and what were you trying to accomplish with it? When I became the first African-American spokesperson at Revlon, um, it was for color style. Uh, Gail O'Neill, Veronica Webb had recent, and you know, she was the first African-American model signed to a cosmetic contract. And she made the introduction to um, Jerry Backus Glover, uh, uh, a black woman, a president at Revlon, who was in charge of this huge initiative. And the range was beautiful. Um, the idea of becoming a spokesperson was very foreign to me. But at the same time, I had so many examples, Veronica Webb and, and, and the supermodel era was all about being able to, um, 
not just being artists, not just being a model, but being able to walk and talk and do all of these different things. And so I kind of modeled my career after after Veronica Webb, after uh, uh, Tyra Banks, after, uh, uh, you know, Vanessa Williams, you know, because so many of them were entering this stage of of. Right. Um, it was new for them too, in a way, right? Yeah. Like everyone in the nineties was kind of taking on this bigger role. They were models, but they were becoming celebrities in their own right. Yes. And this was, I mean, you know, Kevin Aquan was, was big at the time and, and to watch his ascent as a celebrity um, helped me to believe that, you know, I could have a life outside of, of just being behind the scenes. And you had the name for it. I mean, Sam Fine. <laughs> and not, yes, not Sam Ugly. Passed, it's I Sam born, Fine. I was born Samuel <laughs> Fine. It is my on my birth certificate, and I was it's adopted. Incredible. So anyone who knows me um, otherwise knows my parents' last name who adopted me, but they were in loving support about me changing it back to my original. That's great. I mean, did you do it for obvious reasons? That it sounds like you know it, you belong in the I was, uh, beauty I, industry. I was adopted at six months and my parents raised me knowing that I was adopted. Um, it, there was no aha moment at like 16. Mm-hmm. Like, guess what? Um, so I knew that my last name had been fine when they adopted me and I didn't have a middle name. And so my parents um, said, well, you know, if you want to use it as a middle name, sure. So I would sign everything uh, at, you know, using fine as my middle name. And later on, uh, trying to fly, trying to book tickets and clients know you as Samuel Fine, Sam Fine. And then they put Samuel. And this was, you know, even like, especially post 9-11. So I didn't want to formally change my name, but I was forced to just, just for identification purposes. It had gotten too challenging. I would end up at the airport. Inevitably, there'd be a ticket for Sam, Sam Fine and not, uh, you know, my, my, my parents' name. Oh, you know? wow. So this is such a stretch, but I'm going to ask you anyway, do you think that being adopted has, has informed your work or your career in any way? For sure. I think that for me being adopted, um, you realize that anyone could be your family. You could be my brother. You know what I'm saying? If your your family opened their home to me and adopted me, I could be your brother, and my experiences could be could be so different. And I think that's true of the kind of family that we enter into in this community. That's another reason why I reach out to makeup artists. That's another reason why I feel so connected to other makeup artists because they're family. We we go through the same thing. We live uh, in the same industry together. Um, good or bad. And so, so yes, it definitely has an effect on how you view the world. You choose to feel, is it a choice that you make to feel like I'm going to feel inclusive and reach out to people like you talked about earlier and we are a family as a cho, as opposed to feeling you could feel rejection <clears throat> or I don't belong or whatever. Is that a choice that you make or is it just how you came out pre-wired? I think it's pre-wired. I think wow, it's really okay. um, I have nieces and nephews now and I watch them, you know, having, you know, from, from being babies into, you know, my, my eldest nephew's 19 and I watch him and I, I've seen him grow. And I know that he, he came here to experience something in this world and, 
He's exactly who he was when he was a child. Um, you don't, you don't, you grow into it, you expand into it. And I think that also it has to do with my reception, um, how it's received in this industry. Um, Frank Cooper was so loving and caring. Joseph Hampton, so loving, so caring. James Harris, hairstylist who introduced me to Frank Cooper, so loving, so caring. And, and sometimes you have to wonder, why me? You know, why was I introduced? Why did you guys see something in me? Because there's so much talent in this industry and we see more of it now on social media um, daily, but why me? And so to, to, to give something back to the industry, it's, it's a love for other artists. Um, it is a connection that I feel with them. And I, I don't see our lives being so different. Um, I, just seeing, I just see our jobs you know, um, um, so what is the answer to why me? Why were people re- so receptive to you? Did you figure that out? No, I, I, I think there's an uh, a wow factor, an aha factor um, to what you bring to a room, and that's for other people to answer. Um, but uh, you know, when I met Naomi Campbell, I wasn't even formally introduced to her. I was behind the scenes at a fashion show working with Frank Cooper. And I was working on another black model and I didn't know she was paying attention, you know? And, and then when she called me at the, at the cosmetic counter, I was still working at ANS at the time to ask me to be a part of a job that she was on. You know, you can imagine my surprise. Um, you never know why you're chosen. And so I feel it's our jobs as people who've been in the industry, maybe longer than others to embrace the kids who are coming up, to to pass along a word of encouragement. Um, that's why I enjoy teaching. And it's no, it's no, it's no surprise that Joseph, uh, who taught me makeup coming into this industry, was a, a teacher uh, before he became a makeup artist. So so I'm sure that some of that has been instilled in me. I wanted to ask you, and it might feel like I keep going back to race, but you are known for being an educator and product developer for black women Mm -hmm. or women of color. Black women. It's more inclusive. Right. (laughs) I, you know, the funny thing is, is that I I saw years ago, Wendy Williams was saying, um, just say black. She was like, the only people who think that they're doing like being referential is, are white people saying African-American. And so then I'm like, well, you know, from that day on, I just say black and it seems like nobody takes offense to it. So it covers it all. It covers it all. Okay. So you, do you consider yourself to be a black makeup artist? I consider myself to be a makeup artist who happens to be black. Okay. And I think the, Did difference, you, the difference yes, go ahead. with that is that calling me a black makeup artist is it, it, it's a pigeonhole. Um, a lot of people only imagine that a black makeup artist can only do black makeup or a black hairstylist can only do black hair. But if you label yourself a hairdresser first or a makeup artist first, it helps for people to take the, the box away a bit. That's just who I am. That doesn't speak to my talent. I started in this industry, uh, you know, working general market. I used to work for Cosmo like every week. I have Cosmo covers with Scavulo. Scavulo and Sean Burns were 
were lovely to me and embracing my talent at such an early age. Um, you know, uh, you know, so, so race does have a lot to do with that. But I think that when people call me a, a black makeup artist, um, I try to correct them and say, I'm a makeup artist first who happens to be black. Do you feel like when, especially before that there was a lot of like segregation in terms of bookings at, when you started to really take off and you were known for doing all of the people I mentioned before. And, and I mean, you've kind of worked with every, not every, but <laughs> a lot every uh, major lot. black celebrity. I feel like you at one point have worked with them. Yes. Did you feel like that? Like there were two industries, like you were in the black yes. makeup artists and there were white makeup artists industries. Tell me yes. about that. Yes. I think that many, many people of color will tell you that we live in two different worlds. Um, when you were talking to Jawara, um, I love that podcast interview. I listened to that earlier today and being from Jamaica and I had a partner who was from Trinidad the language and the food, it's just totally different and something that everyone's not going to understand. It's the same for being an Italian American or an Irish American. You bring something, an Indian, you know, Indian uh, a descent, you, you bring something different. You bring another culture to this. So you always have your, your culture and then the, 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 the world that we live in, um, which is general market to me. Um, and there's a duality. I, I, look, I can make it as simple to say that I had to have a white book and a black book. Really? Model myself. Yes. If I had too many black models after a certain point, it was overkill for them. Um, they couldn't tell the difference between Beverly Pill and Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks. That's just a fact. They all seem the same. It became very like, okay, we, we have one. And that's kind of how the industry kind of dealt with, um, models and celebrities at that time. We've had one black model on the cover this year, although there are 12 covers. Um, so I had to market myself to get the work that I wanted. So I had a white book and a black book. It doesn't get more separate than that because you have to tell the audience because if they happen to know that I'm black, then I really have to let them know that I can work general market equally. And you have to prove it by having it in a book yes. because people have to see it. I know yep. that from yep. my own thing. It's like, you can say I can do black skin, but if you don't it have that nothing. picture, it, yeah. people want to see it. And then they go, yeah. Oh, you can. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people talk about like having a breakthrough where it was like, then they got booked by, you know, oh, yeah. 10 other people because they saw that image that they could do. Yes. They could deliver. And for me, it's not just one image. You know, I could, if I had done it in reverse, um, gosh, if I would have had, you know, like, you know, if I had a black book with one white model, they would question my skills as well. Right. So, so I had to have two books and I just, you know, I had a close relationship with my then agent, Jean Owen, who I loved. Um, I was with her during my formative years um, and well into um, uh, Fine Beauty um, that was released 24 years ago. Um, and I would always talk to Jean and say like, who's the client? Don't send that book, send this book, or it's to go into a magazine that you still want them to understand your general market work and not just know you for doing only Tyra and Naomi 
and Iman. So marketing is a huge part of this business. And I learned that at an early age. And thanks again to Joseph. I think marketing that I'm learning now, especially in this day and age and with social media is, I think, <laughs> arguably, depending on what you want out of your career, more important than actually what we do. I mean, I see people who who market themselves in a genius way that I, that it's like, wow, like in another time, this never would have worked, but right now they're really good at it. You know, they are a Honda Sonata, Hyundai Sonata going 80 (laughs) miles an hour. And you're sitting there and, you know, watching them go by. Um, Did you feel like the rates and everything were equal? Was it separate, but equal when you were like with black talent or did you always feel like, you know, Understand when I say this, I was working with black talent with white budgets. What did you get from that? You were working with black talent who were working for larger, probably what I forget what you said earlier, the the term, but commercial is kind of what I said. Revlon, L'Oreal. So when I walked in, I'm doing Revlon with Patrick DeMarchelier first time. You know what I'm saying? So there's going to be a budget that speaks to that. So I was able to come in in a way that was very unique. You know, and were you always respected on set? Yes and no. You, uh, Patrick was lovely to me. Um, uh, There were, there were instances I'll never forget. I was working on a job with a very prominent hairdresser um and they left a uh, a coupon a kentucky fried chicken coupon on my station and they all thought it was funny and of Are course i was the only black person on set n- not even the model the model was white and um and they all thought it was a hoot so what did you do nothing who did, we work in an industry that is based on business, but there's no HR. There is no one to blow a whistle on. We didn't have social media at the time to, hey, I have you know millions of followers and I really want to out this hairstylist or I want to out this company for hiring this person and how, how they thought this was a joke, but this is something that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. And you felt if you had spoken up about it, you might've been blacklisted from working with the people in that room. I feel that today. Yeah. Maybe that's my baggage, but I don't think this industry really wants to confront its the inequities, the the racism, the discrimination. I, look, we still go to work for editorial at a hundred, what, $150? And and I've worked with some some magazines who now then, oh hey, we don't do breakfast, we don't do lunch, or you know, it's it's this, it has gotten so Bad And yes, I understand that magazines aren't making money anymore, but even when they were, they weren't paying us. Right. So the best you could get before was at least a trip to India or to Marrakesh or something like that. But now they don't even travel. Yeah. Or you could get, or you could get the higher rates of maybe the cover rate was 350 or you could push them, you know, into $750. Or if you had a celebrity, you could get, um, the record record label, you know, if it was a, you know, a a celebrity, you know, um, um, a a singer, 
um, a celebrity, maybe the movie company would pay in some way as part of a press junket to have you there. There are ways mm-hmm. to find money, but the magazine was never going to change um, how it paid you. So we work in an industry that, you know, there's no union, there's no HR, no. there's no affirmative action. Um, we work in an industry that all the time says, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really want that girl or she's too large or her nose is too wide. And it's, 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 we work it. I think the industry is working to correct itself, but it was based on something that was, that was very, uh, discriminatory in many yeah. ways. Do you think we've made strides? Yes, 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 yes. But, um, and that's not to negate the strides, you know, I always say, but negates everything that comes before it. Um, you have to look at magazine sales. So yes, you can say that there are more women of color, more people of color in this industry, but working for magazines is not as prestigious or as, as, or as, uh, it doesn't have the hierarchy that it used to. It won't make your career. Right. right. It doesn't make a career anymore. Yeah. Um, just because you have a, a Vogue cover or it used to be, you know, if you're a model and you, you know, got leave black, white, you know, indifferent. If you had a Vogue cover, you had a career. Um, if you were able to reach that level of success, um, the democratization of uh, that social media that has accompanied social media has changed the dynamics of things greatly, the sales of magazines and their ability to pick and choose who will have what. So now you have celebrities with, with, with greater numbers than magazines have subscribers. Right. So of course you're going to see Kim and Kanye on a cover, whether we feel it's Vogue or not. So, so the dynamics have changed completely, but um, do I think that um, the, Industry as a whole has changed. No, no, not really. I think it follows commerce as it always has. Like when China yes. started to have, you know, the that a number of billionaires and buying all the luxury goods, not all, but a vast amount of luxury yes. goods. Yes. Oh my gosh. Now we're seeing Asian models on the runway. And it yes. wasn't because somebody decided that yes. we were going to wake up one morning and have diversity yes. or it was the right thing to do. It was all about money. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, do you wish you could have gone back on set and had spoken up and said, you know, anything differently or do you, or would you have still done what the, handled it the way that you did? Michelle Obama said it best. I mean, you know, they go low, you go high. And do my, you go high? I do. I do. Uh-huh. There was nothing to say. Yeah. I saw, you know, my career is evidence of me going high. Um, I don't think that everything needs to be addressed. I think making a way in the room is more important than cursing out everyone who might be in your way. Um, I've had a, that's hard to do though. It's not, it's not. Um, I don't take people home with me from work. I don't, um, I'm fortunate enough to work with people that I know and love. That's a luxury. Um, but if I go to work with people that I don't know, I have a good day and I leave them where they are. And I left that job right where it was. My friends are still my friends, my families, my still my family. And I always have people to go to and talk about these situations who I know love me. 
So you, your work is not your worth. No, neither is, neither is, you know, your celebrity in this industry. You can't, if you're, if you're, if you are what you do, then you allow everyone else to, to be able to change that by the, by, by the sheer fact of, of, of the, the opportunities you're given. You ultimately have to know that you're more than the work. Uh, I love listening to another podcast of yours with Dick Page. Look, we're all doing this. We're all in the trenches. It is not glamorous. The only glamour that comes from this are the accolades that we receive and, 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 and that if we're fortunate, I've been very fortunate um, to enjoy a career doing something that I love with people that I love. I love Vanessa Williams. I love Veronica Webb. I love Iman. So I get a chance to go to work with people that I, that I love and admire. But you must have had people that you don't love. <laughs> At least you don't like if you don't love them. Well, no, I've worked with people that I don't love. Will you now work with people who you don't love if for whatever reason the rate is amazing? or Yep. Yeah, I you will. will. It's a day out of my life. Keep your eye on the prize. What do you do in that moment when you're trying to do makeup and someone is riding you and you're like... No, that's different. That's different. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. No, someone that you don't like is one thing. I can tune you out. Um, But someone riding me... Yeah. It's going to be a problem. How how does Sam Fine handle that? Um, I've told people before. I've told... Very, very well-known photographers that you were chosen for this job in the same way I was. Um, I have a perspective about her beauty and that in the same way you have a perspective in how you'd like to photograph her. Let's respect one another here because it's going to be what I want it to be. You have to also realize, Quinn, I'm not often the person who's hired by the magazine. I'm not often the person who's hired by the cosmetic company. I'm not often hired uh, by the record label. Sometimes more than not, you know, that, that, that one, you know, the music industries uh, definitely, you know, got more, there's a lot more opportunity for me. And that's where a huge part of my career came from uh, starting out with Mary J. Blige and Deborah Cox and working with Vanessa Williams and Patty LaBelle. So, so the record industry, I think, you know, they understand diversity in a very different way than fashion and beauty. Um, but to answer your question, um, I know where my bread is buttered. Uh I know that I wouldn't be here if you all had really free choice. I've been the, uh, uh, the additional makeup artist with Iman when she walks into a room and Bobby Brown is actually booked on the job. Um, but Iman says, no, I'm, I'm bringing my own makeup artist. That's who I was. That's who I am. And before personal makeup artists became a thing, um, you know, that was, that was how my career began on the shoulders of these incredible women. Um, on the, on the shoulders. protect you, obviously, who, who you know, you know, you're there for them and they know, right. Yes. Some would. Um, some believe that the photographer knows best. And, you know, I thought we were all chosen and requested because of, uh, you know, our body of work. Um, well, you do a, a makeup that you don't like. 
it's hard for me. It's very hard for me. It's like telling somebody, asking someone to write with a hand that, that I'm right-handed. It's asking me to write with my left hand. It's not an easy thing for me to do. I'm an artist. Um, so much of what I do and what I've done is because I've had to believe in something different. When I assisted Kevin Aquan at fashion shows, um, I knew that I had to change the look a bit for the black models because these colors wouldn't read on them the same. Now, did Kevin notice a difference? No. But I knew that I had to translate this look that he showed us on Linda Evangelista and maybe, you know, 80, 80, 85% of the, the white models to help the black models put their best face forward. That was something that I had to do. Um, and every, every, every photographer is not going to be kind to you. Um, they want oh, gosh, or know how to light a black model. That's like the problem half the time is like, if you don't know how to light a white model and there's so many who don't like big photographers who I've been on set with, I'm always, I'm sometimes I'm just like blown away. I'm like, thank, well, if you have a black model, it's just going to show all of your incompetence. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, um, we started in this industry before retouching became very popular. So to to perfect that look, skin and in all its its very tones is is it's you know it's it's a do or die situation. But I have had situations where I've had to go toe to toe with photographers or an art director or someone from a brand who wants something that I don't feel is um, in keeping with why you hired me. Mm. You know, um, I do know that I'm in a service position, but I'd like to think that you trust my perspective on things at a certain at, at a certain point. Um, and so I've had to go toe to toe with people. You know, it's not always nice. But that's it's also your job. It's nice. It's I'm part sorry. of your job. It's, I'm sorry. Say that again. I said it's a part of your job. <sighs> For because me. Yeah, but that, whoever's hiring you is is hiring you probably in part because they know that you have you're a soldier on their behalf and you're going to stand up for you know yourself and your client. And I take it that way. I do. I do. Um, but every now and then, you 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 fall into a situation where there is a famous photographer, or there's a famous stylist, or there's a uh, you know a top editor, and they want to say what they want. And I can take direction to a point where I, I, I can say that I don't, I don't see that. I'm a creative as well. And we all have an opinion. We know that. We all come with opinions. So I don't always, you know, I, I can't always give in to that. I can't. I can't. And, I, I, and, I'm, and, and I've, I've lost a few clients. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've lost clients over those battles. And I've solidified some relationships over those same arguments. Because of it. Exactly. I wanted to ask you, this is a part in the show where I um, ask you about two products. Cool. I want to ask you about a product that you have used for a really long time that is a staple that you love. And then a newer product to you that you've discovered that you also really love. Well, you touched on one already. And I don't have that on hand. Um, but it will be Black Opal Stick Foundations. Anyone who's seen me teach, anyone who's seen me work, I'm, I'm a fan of cream foundations. Um, and of course, having developed the, the first uh, Black Opal 
Stick Foundation collection, um, I'm partial. And then I'm probably partial to Fashion Fair's Stick Foundation as well, because um, having become the creative makeup director for Fashion Fair 10 years ago, and then being able to rejoin them for their relaunch is a very special place for me as well. So uh, their Stick Foundations, their range is, is very special to me. Do you have a favorite tone that like you feel like works for so many women? Oh my God, it's always that mid-tone. It's always that mid-tone. And There's of course, always one color that like I feel like you can go anywhere with. It's you true, it's true. Warm it up, you can, you yeah. know. Which one it. from Fashion Fair is if we were gonna go buy one, if we if we were if people were gonna go buy one for their kit or a woman listening, what which one would you recommend? I didn't do the names. Okay. But it's named Fine Chestnut. So Okay. Fine I, I swear it's it's just a coincidence. By the way, I'm totally going to go get it because if someone <laughs> fine recommends fine chestnut, then we've got to do that. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about longevity in this career because there's a lot of superstars and um, kudos to them. There are people who have millions of followers on Instagram and have been doing this for four years or less, you know, mm-hmm. you've been working since 1989 or, you know, the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um what has been the key to longevity for you? I think there are two, two pieces here. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is talent. You've got to know how to switch it up and change in an ever-changing market. Um, they didn't have highlighters and, and, and glow in, when I came up. Um, everything was very matte. Um, so to change, to glow, to embrace that is definitely, um, a change in the way that I do makeup. Um, you have to stay current and I don't say current in meaning that you have to work outside yourself. You're an artist, you add two or three things to your kit and it, it can change your perspective on beauty. It's no different than getting now a shimmery shadow or a glow highlighter and and it changes um it changes the the look of your makeup and reflects today's aesthetic um beyond but- trend cuz it's not about about like following the trend of the day it's more about an evolution i feel like yes yes but the pendulum swings um, I think we've seen glow at its height with the powders and the gleams and things that to me are pretty, you know, sometimes unnatural to what I love to use now is a kind of a clear balm. I think Pat McGrath started that. Danessa Myricks has a product that speaks to that. Um, I think of those, those artists and what they ushered in. And I want a piece of that. And how can I bring that currency to what I'm current, what I'm doing? Um, and I don't think that that's hard to do. I'm built on the basics. I'm, I'm never someone who's very gimmicky. Um, lashes have gotten much bigger. Finding a lash that speaks to me yet speaks to the, the, um, the, the current climate wasn't hard, but I found it. And so it has a little bit of air in it. And, and, you know, it's still full enough that speaks to today's market but doesn't overpower um, my belief system about, about makeup. So I think that as an artist, you have to be able to integrate um, certain, certain elements into your kit. 
um, that help you remain current. Uh, also marketing. I think it's important to join social media. I don't think that to have a fight with it. I love what Dick Page does with his social media. He cooks constantly. I know his dogs now. Um, he takes Reggio to work. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love yeah. that side of what to me, social media was meant for. It wasn't simply meant to show off your, your, your recent work, but I think it was to show something more than the work that we see in magazines, the creative process. I love when I see him mixing colors on the back of his hands or doing his artistry, that means something to me. Um, and so Sam, let me ask you, Yes, this is, you know, I'd love to ask a question and interrupt and ask another question. There's this thing about like clinging on to, I think it's fair to say that the industry has changed in so many ways. The rates are not the same that they were in the nineties. Those, I mean, that was, that was <laughs> bound to, that was bound to like, you know, to yes. like implode on itself. Yes. But you were talking about social media coming around and not resisting it and, and everything, but there must, how do you balance between, Oh my God, I used to not get out of bed for less than this much money um, and I could, you know, be an artist and on set with these photographers to jumping into today's world and being like, I need to post, I need to show behind the scenes and everything. How do you let go? I'm projecting onto you that you, that there's a part of you that would want what was, how do you make amends with that? And is that a part of the, of the, of the longevity of a career? It is, it is because you got to keep switching up. And I swear I was gonna I was gonna you know bring that after the artistry um, switch up I was gonna talk about the way we market ourselves. Social media is the tip of the iceberg, but now I have never been paid by companies at the when you talk about those good old rates. I also wasn't paid by companies for endorsements. Right. So now I you know now I have the power. Now companies are so, it's commonplace to say, hey, you did Cynthia Revo for the Met for them to buy that look and talk about their product. We didn't have that. That didn't exist before. We didn't have the opportunity to be the managers, kind of, so to speak, of our own destiny as it spoke to relationships with brands, doing a tutorial. Um, you don't have to be a spokesperson to make this money anymore. You can have a client and by proxy, now that now you are getting um, uh, more product from these brands. You know, I never got as much product as I get today. I, I am even want it all. inundated. Oh my God. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have relationships with beauty schools to send certain things and shades that I know that I won't use as much and I don't want it to go bad. So I make sure to pass that on to, to other um, artists. Um, I digress, but I, I, I'm saying this to say that with social media comes a greater opportunity to own your destiny financially and um, um, uh, your, your own success. Whatever that means. I came up in an industry where I could only fit in one box. If I didn't work for magazines, I wasn't, I wasn't it. 
You know what I'm saying? I, if I, you know, and I took celebrities early on when Kevin Aquan was taking on celebrities because that wasn't even heard, really heard of. You know, I don't know that Pat McGrath has had a big celebrity uh, career. I know her for doing runways. I know her doing celebrities for print. I don't know that she's doing um, a celebrity for Met. Maybe she didn't have to come up and I don't know about her earlier career, but I don't know her that way. I, I looked at working with celebrities as an opportunity to change my career and to be able to do a book or be able to do a DVD and become a product and to release products. And I think that was very different. So I embrace what so social media is offering kids today. And I think it's up to us in the same way that it was up to us then. It's up to us now to find out how we fit in best. So it doesn't sound like you're somebody who looks behind you that much. You're, you're going to sound malleable. Like you're just kind of like, you able don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. But you can complain about it and well, <laughs> bitch about that's, what, it. that's what dinners are for. No, that's what dinners okay, are for. Okay, okay, okay. Because nobody wants to hear me bitching and moaning when I've had a, a 30 year career, that, you know, in an ongoing career, you know, but, but for the past 30 years, nobody wants to hear me. Nobody wants to hear um, celebrities talk about the millions that they, they, they made, but they should have made more. They don't right. want to hear it. Right. So you have to know the audience that you're talking to. The, hopefully the people who are talking, who are listening to this podcast understand that the bottom line is how malleable you are in any industry. I love that. And so I do take opportunities. There are jobs that I take now that, oh, this will look good. You know, oh, you know, maybe I can get uh, so-and-so to sponsor this, or maybe I work on another project that, that, that speaks to, you know, um, this this opportunity there are you have to create opportunities and the one thing i will say as a person of color you you really have to think about it that way i was born in an industry that did not embrace me um initially they didn't create space for me i was always and still am uh, many times the only black man in the room so i have to create i i that's my baggage i have to create these opportunities because if i don't if i wait for the phone to ring i won't work no one came to me with a book deal no one came to me ask, asking me to do a dvd no one asked me to to change my rates to escalate my rates to make it better for my brothers and sisters who were coming behind me i had to do that and so, so when you talk about being malleable, I'm getting hot because you have to. You don't have a choice. For many of us who have gone film and television, I'm union. I'm vested now. Um, I moved to L.A. To, to, to work with Queen Latifah to do the Queen Latifah show. Do you think I want to do film and television every day? You know, it is so not about makeup when you're making someone look like themselves on the street, that's not fun and aspirational. That's not why I got into this business. But you know what? Change or die. Mm. Wow. I love that. I need to. Um, that I wanna, was my rant. Yeah. I want your rant cut up into like five minute segments and I'll wake up in the morning <laughs> and put it on and be like, stop feeling sorry for yourself and change. And, you know, don't bitch. Quinn, Quinn we met. We met. Our introduction is through Troy Serrata, a very dear friend of mine. Um, 
Rebecca Restrepo, Milagros uh, Medeiros, Nick Burroughs. I, I could go down the list of other artists that anytime you want to bitch and moan about something, pick up the phone because we we need a support group. You need people to understand what it's like to to work in this industry that has no rules and regulations that you can or do. Or health insurance. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be able to complain, but be able to get back up on your feet and reassess the situation. If there's ever a time when I'm wondering, gosh, you know, I want to do this client, but the rate stinks. Then I call my, 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 my boy Joe up on the phone and Joe will say, nobody knows what you're making. They only assume that you're making the rates that you normally make. So only you know, and they know. And then that can change once right. you establish a relationship. Get in. Why don't you have an agent? I didn't feel that. <laughs> How much time do you have? Well, you know, the version you're willing to tell. Because oh, no, obviously, no, I'm interested for a few not. reasons. One is that I know it's a choice. And two is I've seen a lot of uh, peers leave agencies because of social media now like you didn't you if someone left an agency before you wouldn't necessarily know how to reach them quickly and now it's like everyone knows where you are all the time for better or for worse but anyway why did you because i asked you when we were doing this i said i want to go online and look at your portfolio and um i couldn't find it and i was like what agency are you with and you said i haven't had an agent for years and i don't have a port a public portfolio so i just want i'm curious why i had a wonderful agent gene owen and I love Jean and and her assistant, Mary Lou. In fact, I stay in touch with them both. Um, I never bought into the agency philosophy. Um, I have never been with an agent who has ever gotten me a client. Sit on that for a minute. My word of mouth, my ability to promote myself, my ability to stay on the tongues of the audience that I want to be employed by was my doing. Um, my relationships that I, that, I, that I cultivated, Mickey Taylor at Essence, Susan Taylor at Essence, um, you know, Emil Wilbekin at Vibe and, you know, the, these relationships, Sarah Brown at Vogue, these are relationships that I cultivated. Um, and so when I went into the agency system, I understood what it was and why I needed that. I needed help. I was working a lot. Um, I needed help with, with bookings and, and negotiations. A lot of people don't want to hear what you have to say. They take it personally as if you can't simply advocate for yourself and that's business. And this is, this is, these are my personal views, but unfortunately it gets, it gets tangled when people have to hear from, you know, you request rates or treatment. It becomes very personal to them. Right. Right. And so I know I needed. Yes, yes. And, and unfortunately, people don't see, they, they feel, if, if someone negotiates with you, and I know there are a lot of people out there who either haven't pursued agencies or, or you, know, uh, you know, have this dream of what being, being with an agency is like. 
And I'm not trying to dispel the myth, but you know, more than not, I'm talking to people who are with agencies who feel that they wish they could get more work and target more of the kind of clients that they want, but they're still not getting them. Um, I feel like agencies uh, are a default management system that not all artists need. Jean was wonderful during my formative years, but I guided her the the entire way. Um, you know, but what when, about even just doing the paperwork and billing and everything? Isn't that so? I couldn't do it. I did it before I met her. I did it before. So I you met don't her. mind doing all the the kind of office work of the. I job. knew that I was ready to hand that over to someone, and I also wanted someone to play off of. I also wanted someone who could speak for me in a way that didn't make me didn't make it sound as if I were asking for these things. Um, you but now you do, but now you do it yourself. No. During oh, okay. time, I'm okay. sorry, Quinn. I, I'm long-winded with this because it's so important. It is. And I think a lot of people listening will be very interested in it because it's this kind of taboo topic in the industry that it I don't is. think enough people want to talk about. It's true. You know, and I love Jean and I loved everything that she did. But then, you know, I'll never forget once I was about to work for Revlon. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm privy to what Fran Cooper makes for Revlon. I'm privy to what Kevin Aquan gets for Revlon. I want to ask for what they're making. She was like, I don't think they're going to go for that. I want you to ask. And we got it. You can't look for people to see things for you that sometimes they're okay with. You have to have a system in yourself that you want, it's not just wanting more, but being able to ask what you're worthy. I felt like, you know, they don't know that um, I'm a, you know, a, a newer makeup artist. They're hiring someone for this position and the budgets are tr- pretty much the same, you know? Um, so if I want to book Sam Fine, am I calling and talking to you? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. See, the part that I keep avoiding uh, you know, because the agency piece is, is, is so big, those formative years were so big for me. Um, I, I released the book and I started getting requests for appearances, educational appearances and Nordstrom tours and things of that nature. And also even the book deal itself. My agent didn't, she, she wasn't a lawyer. She had never dealt with book deals before. So I wanted to go to someone who um, could help me manage a lot of those things. And I found a young man uh, who had worked in advertising that was a friend of a friend's. And I asked him, I said, hey, what would you think about being my agent? So I brought him in-house and trained him in my way of doing business, um, you know, down to, you know, things that things like, you know, a check the same day. You know, a production company is given a certain budget from, uh, the you know, the music company. Uh, or the 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 brand, and the brand is no longer responsible for paying you. So the production company now is. Now, what happens when that production company goes bankrupt the week later? And what recourse do you have? None. So, you know, being burned helped me to understand that I could ask for certain things. And I, I had to train someone and work with someone that I could train to speak on my behalf. 
not on the behalf of the agency, not on behalf of peacemaking for their relationship with several other artists and, 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 and themselves. I wanted someone who could speak on my behalf and, and fight for what I felt was what I needed. And so I went to Erodney um, and I have been with him off and on for the most part. I didn't need him so much when I went to television and film because once you do a deal, it's governed throughout. Autopilot. Right. right. It's like a real job. Then you, right. you sign the papers, you're in, it's good. But, you know, so we've been off and on for those type of things. And I've been able to bring him into different products, projects. He's, he's done casting for me because he used to work um, in the model industry as well. So, so. And isn't the elephant in the room that you've saved a lot of money? That's no elephant in the room. That's honesty. I think to, to, I think it breaks the system down in a way that Uber broke down taxis. At some point, you have to learn your power as an artist. If the agency paradigm is predicated on you joining the agency and we send you out to get you more work and that you won't get that work without having an agency, yet I can break that. What's the role of an agent? I can hire an accountant. Right. And I have seen people do that. You got to find the right fit for you. I'm organized enough. I can do my travel. I can, you know, tell you, Rodney, everything that I want. And I can even, he can even say sometimes, Hey, do you want to put this, these flights on hold yourself? And I'll just send them to the client and have this. Sure. That will work better. I'm very present. And I think that anyone in this industry needs to learn to do invoicing, learn to negotiate and learn how to do a deal memo. Um, because you, how can you have an agent? Um, that's how we hear about so many people getting robbed, both models and, and, and creatives, they get robbed from agencies because they don't even know sometimes what they're getting paid. Or if that client is paying an agency fee on top of your rate, because traditionally for those out there who don't know, it's 20% on top of your fee and they take 20% from you. So what happens when that client says, and I've heard this a lot, especially recently, that they don't pay, pay agency fees. Does that money come out of me? How have we negotiated this? Everything is a deal. How you go into it, the more you are, how you go into it is, is, is in essentially how you're going to finish. I think so many people are going to find this segment really um, helpful. You should do your next masterclass half about, you know, we'll do some eyebrows and stuff and then <coughs> say, we're going to do a business, um, you know, a business strategy. No, people need it. Everybody who does what we do is motivated. We don't work with people who just show up nine to five and are on Facebook all day because you would do that. You mm -hmm. have to want your career in this. It's like, it's mm -hmm. proactive. When I hear friends talk about people at work and I'm like, that's at least one thing we don't deal with people who are in this half-ass. It's too hard. It, look, Quinn, if you're working for a client, if, if you're at a model agency or a makeup agency and you they get a call for a makeup artist and they say to you, Hey, this is the rate and the rates never change. When do you ever get to say that you're not happy doing this? You know, I, 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 you know, I feel like in many ways they become the parent and you become a child and you never, you're allowed to grow up. You know what I'm saying? 
And so I, I, I fight that. And I hope that anyone out there who's understanding this, who's listening to this, who's watched Beyonce do what she does. Yes, you have to play by the rules until you make your own rules. And you'll know, you'll know when it's time for you to change the system. Now, we did, I didn't just leave, I didn't just leave Gene Owen, but I did ask, Hey, you know, um, the, the clients that I'm bringing in, I'd like to lessen my take that you get from me. Go ahead and continue billing the client the 20% agency fee, but let's work on a sliding scale for the clients that I have brought to the agency and take a lesser percentage. And would they do it? Of course they did. Oh. Wouldn't you? Well, sometimes I think they think if they do that, they have to do it across the board. You know, I do I've heard the it. other way. I do hate it when people say, I'll do it for you, but don't tell anyone. Because I'm going to pretty much tell everyone. <laughs> yeah. I am. I'm that guy. I'm not okay. going to sit here and make this money and do this deal and not tell you that, yeah, you should consider this. Right. And hopefully somebody thinks about their business and earning money. Because when you do tally it up, if you take 20% on top of the, on top, of a hundred dollars and take twenty twenty dollars out of my salary out of that same hundred dollars, you're giving for, essentially forty percent away. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. I want to ask you about three different women um, who I'm just intrigued to know about. You can share whatever you want. Okay, Michelle Obama. What Breathe. is it like working with Michelle Breathe. Obama? Brief. It was so brief. Um, it was at a time where um, I believe she had uh, Derek Rutledge, her longtime makeup artist. Um, I knew her first makeup artist, Ingrid Grimes from Chicago. I'm originally from Chicago, so I know Ingrid and love her. Um, when you get that call, it's very special. Um, I have been to the White House several times with many entertainers. Um, working with her was a joy. It was so easy. But once again, it was a referral. I, I think her hairstylist, Johnny Wright, um, all the time. Um, having a good Was name. she the first lady at the time? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I worked with Kamala Harris. That was my next prior one. To her becoming vice president. So okay. I worked with her when she was doing a commercial for um, becoming, I think, a Senator, don't quote me, but I think she was, uh, you know, uh, up or attorney her. general that uh -huh, yes. probably. Yes. That. And do you, did you feel with Kamala Harris that at the time that she had this it factor, like in being in her presence? I'm not into politics in that way. I'm not overly political. I knew she was a woman on a mission. I can say that. Um, even in the car, riding to the, the, the commercial and we had done hair and makeup, you could tell that it wasn't about her glamour, that it was about her work. And uh, Michelle, when I was working with her, um, just something as simple as me calling her Michelle. And of course I started out calling her Miss Obama. And she was like, no, you can call me Michelle. It was, um, a lovely environment to be in. And that's, but I have to say, I get to be in those spaces all the time. I get to be in those spaces when I'm with Eartha Kitt and Aretha Franklin and Shaka Khan and Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight, Jesse Norman. I've been in that space before where I'm 
in, in, in the presence of greatness and you know it and you have a job to do. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of that history. That is so cool. I'm going to take you out for drinks and then just ask you about all the women you just mentioned and geek out. <laughs> Eartha Kitt used to call me Samala. Samala. And she had this effect, this kind of French purr that, of course, you know Eartha Kitt. You know, if, you, if you've listened to her sing or talk, she said Samala. And Veronica Webb then used to call me Samala. And it that was should be this- the name of your next cosmetic line. It's called <laughs> Samala. No, 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 no. It was, you know, you know, everybody's got a nickname for you. And it was so sweet. And you do not argue with legends. No. And the last one is Queen Latifah. She just seems like the coolest woman ever. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Okay. So, you know, she, although Vanessa Williams is my longest running client, um, I worked with her recently. I've worked with her since Save the Best for Last, and she uh, was at the Grammys when she was nominated. She sang at the Grammys. Um, I did her for Save the Best for Last, and we've been working together and had such a wonderful relationship ever since. Queen Latifah, our relationship has been spotty, where I first met her when she was a rapper um, doing the remix for Brandy's I Want to Be Down. I Want to Be Down? Oh, and I wow. Did Brandy, Yo-Yo, Light, and La. So that was my first introduction to Queen Latifah. And I asked to tweeze her brows and she looked at me like I lost my mind. Meanwhile, I tweezed MC Light, bleached yo-yo. She was like, yeah, go somewhere with that. Um, To watch her and so many other female rappers transition into um, the beauty the beauty industry. I mean, you know, Queen Latifah became a cover girl. She had the Queen collection. She had the Queen collection um, to watch her on the red carpet and become this, this like, you know, this, this, this beauty, this, 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 you know, it was everything like the girls were working so hard to be these hard rappers. And, you know, they were almost looking so masculine to, to, to have that, that moment of doing all of them for, I want to be down was transformative, I think, for all of their careers. I think it was the beginning. I've seen Yo-Yo since. I've seen Light since. Um, of course, Brandy, but, you know, she was already on that path. But to see all of them and see how they've embraced their femininity um, on the carpet and hairstyles and clothing, um, to know that I was a part of that is amazing. And Law is fun. You get what you get from her. She is one of those... Those people from you know, those those celebrities from Newark, and she will let you know she's from Newark. You know, she can she can um, have a conversation with uh, Angelina Jolie and come back and talk about manage what it's like to manage um, um, Naughty by Nature. You know what I'm saying? So 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 once again, that 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 multi dimensional um, ability to be a rapper, a singer. She did the, her jazz album. Then to be an actress, uh, you know, uh, an Oscar-nominated actress. Uh, so I really do take my cues from many of the people that I work with, and Queen Latifah is no different. Sam, if you could go back in time and meet yourself anywhere, where would it be and what would you say? <laughs> it would be in my – probably in my mid to late 20s. And I would say calm down. 
calm down. I took everything so, so seriously. I knew I had been let in the room. Um, Veronica Webb wrote my foreword for Fine Beauty, and it was the greatest compliment. She said that Sam, we open, you know, I opened the door for Sam and he rearranged the furniture. And I felt that weight on my shoulders to do, to go, to look, to change, to just, you know, push. And um, it was a great time, but I, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more. I think that's anybody, you know, I just turned 53, 52, good Lord. I'm pushing myself. Well, you're I'm aging 50. yourself by a well, year. You know, I mean, it's 2022. I'll be 53 in November. Okay, got so it, got I'm, it. I'm early embracing. And to be 52 and kind of look back, um, it would be nice to have taken more vacations. Um, I think many of us understand that I have a, well, I have a, let me say, I have a going joke. Um, I always say, make plans and get the best booking of your life. And for many times during that, those years, I gave my life to my career. I didn't have much of a personal life. It was all professional. And I had some fun with a lot of friends. You know, I grew up with Tyra in this business. She was a great friend. And Oscar James, her hairstylist, a dear friend of mine today. Um, So I was surrounded by people that I love. uh, But... Didn't always know how to enjoy it. Okay. Do you have time for a game? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. All right. (laughs) Sam, what is the most played song on your iPhone? Gosh, this is going to sound so sad. Anything from Wicked. I'm I'm a theater guy. I came up, I mean, you know, some people, you know, are kind enough to say I have a nice speaking voice. It comes from singing in my youth and all city chorus and 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 I love theater. And I can go to Wicked um uh at any day or any time and and pull that up and and be wow. very happy. Okay. First music you ever purchased? Janet Jackson. Um Young Love Ring around the roses, young love. It was a forty-five, and she. It, it was. It was. It was just a single. That's so cool. Um, what's the most embarrassing? You might have answered this in the first one. What's the most embarrassing song on your iPhone? Oh God, I'm. You know, I'm not embarrassed by my old man music. You know, I'm. I'm searching hard for that one. There's very little that um, would embarrass me because RuPaul gave me an iPod that was filled with music from Barbara Streisand to Cher to all this like great music. And it's just, it's nothing to be embarrassed by. I love it all. I love it all. Okay. Um, Where is the craziest place you've ever had to do makeup? Well, obviously everyone sees us in kitchens all the time. I have been in basements. Um, well, it's not crazy, but a uh, funeral home. Oh. Yep. It happens. That's been ideal. Um, hopefully not on the deceased. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was my first time. It was my first time, and I was asked uh, by someone to, to do makeup. 
And I, it was calming and lovely. But you did it on, on the dead body? Yeah. I mean, that's another career for many makeup artists. I have friends who, who, who work in that industry very wow. often. Yeah. I only saw the um, open casket for the first time in my life this year. And I was like, didn't, I was like, I, that's it for me. I don't need to see it again. Oh, wow. Child, yeah. This is, this is when I start talking about being black and just say like, child, if I could, if, I wish I could go to a closed casket. <laughs> my mother's always like, she looked good. She looked really good. I'm like, she's gone. What do you mean she looked good? Like, you know? Yeah. Well, that so is so that. funny. Yes. No, not for me. Um, what's the most glamorous place that you've ever done makeup? <sighs> On a private jet. On a private jet, uh, running out of time, uh, putting Landing, on lashes right? in a limousine for Patti LaBelle, doing makeup on a private jet. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where's the best trip that work has taken you? I recently came back from Venice, um, but I love Rome the most. Um, but I recently came back from Venice, which was lovely for the Venice Film Festival with uh, Cynthia Rivo, And it was just going to work every day. On a uh, private boat, it's just, it's, you know, now I'm back on the subway. So you can only imagine how calming and 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 how nice it is to prepare. Isn't it cool the gondola comes up to your, or if it is a gondola, but yeah, to your yeah. hotel. And yeah. you're like, okay, see ya. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's pretty beautiful. Yeah. What is the worst cosmetic surgery trend? <laughs> Um, anything that is too much. I'm scared of, I think injectables and Botox are great. I think everything in moderation. Um, uh, I think that anything that goes too far, I say the same about makeup. What's um, the worst I mean, offender though? What, in your opinion, what do people need to chill out about? <laughs> but see, I can't say a facelift because there are facelifts that are beautifully done. So that's all I'm saying. I think everything in moderation. I think at a certain point you have to embrace your age, but that doesn't mean that you can't do things that improve upon the stage in life you are in. Right. So you don't mind the the big lip. For me, it's the But that's the, just the a version lip. of filler. But that's a version of filler. And so if yeah. you've known anyone but people don't do it. There's I know people who do it and it's really good. So then but, you can't but say it's you the most do abused. It. Not shouldn't, but it's just the most abused. That's okay. So that's the answer. The yeah. most abused. Um, Sorry, I should have asked that. But I think it's I think it's filler in general. I think people get okay. very addicted to filler and what it does, and then before you know it, it's these golf ball cheeks. It's these overfilled lips that have no ridge to them at all. Um, you always it, see it in the profile because you get that, uh, that ridge right here. It's like a duck. It's like if you're not sure, tell them to look, you know, say, oh, a, a deer, you know, and just. <laughs> um, my go-to look, Sam Fine's go-to look when you want to feel sexy and you're going out. Oh, my God. I haven't felt sexy or gone out in a very long time. Oh, stop. Um, anything Tom Ford. I am very traditional, and I feel there is nothing that looks better than a suit. Do you do you buy Tom Ford? I do. So you spend? Oh yeah, dinner jackets, uh, suits, uh, shoes. I you know, and I feel like when you buy the classics, I have a black suit, I have a gray suit, I have a uh, uh, a plaid suit. I mean, these are things that I can have forever. 
And, and you don't fluctuate. So there you go. Oh, no, I can't. I didn't say I could fit them right now. <laughs> I just said I had them. So no, I can't fit. I can fit one suit, but not my, not my teeny tiny suit. Nope. Okay. Nope. Not uh, your COVID. favorite neighborhood in New York. I'm, I, I love Brooklyn. When I came back after spending seven years in Los Angeles, I knew that Brooklyn would embrace me. I've lived in the West Village. I've lived, uh, you know, West Village and East Village. Um, but Brooklyn always calls me home. Um, what's your least favorite location in New York? <sighs> Probably, I'd say like Staten Island. Not for any other reason than it's really separated and there's like, it's hard to get to. And I'd probably say the same for like, like um, Williamsburg because it's so hard to get to. There's only one train. I like options. I want to know that I can take a car, but also if I don't feel like it, I can take a train. So I think about my connection to people. And that's why I moved back to New York. LA is a car culture. So for me, being here is being able to, to, to um, easily and quickly get to folks. I agree. And then the last question is, what's the best advice you ever received? <laughs> Save your money. <laughs> Audrey Smaltz, who uh, is, she, she owned the ground crew and they used to dress all the fashion shows. And before I did makeup or while I was still at the cosmetic counter, um, I worked with her as a dresser. It was a great way for me to see what fashion shows were really like. And so I was a dresser and she would always tell me, save your money, put your money away, put your money away, you know, and I wish I would have listened more, but it still did stick with me. And um, it's, it's really some of the best advice because even, you know, when you talk about fluctuating rates, when you talk about choosing jobs, when you talk about um, accepting jobs, if you have the money, you can pick and choose the way you want to live and the jobs that speak to you. And, and when you when you really are accepting something for, uh, you know, editorial because you want to do it, you know that you're not looking for it to pay a bill. You know, you, you're, you're not trying to make something out of it that it's not. Right. And what would she think about your Tom Ford suit? She say she said, well, well, she'd probably say, you know, um, that you should, well, geez. She said that you made enough money to save and buy a Tom Ford suit. I don't know. I, she'd probably say any, you know, I, I feel like you have to reward yourself in this life. And so as long as you have the savings or 401k or plans for retirement, then go ahead and treat yourself. Treat yourself. <laughs> All right. Sam, it's been such a great I feel like I could talk to you forever. Same. You, are... you, you definitely got some things out of me that I wasn't expecting to give. And I, I oh, love it because oh, I think well. that the the industry needs it. Um instead of asking questions that are that everyone can find in your bio or online, really having a real conversation about real issues that affect us as professionals. And I think that's so important. That's the goal. All right. Well thank you so much and I hope actually to meet you in person very soon. I mean, I mean, I saw you across the room at um, Troy Seurat's yes. um, dinner, but it was one of those nights where it was like yes. you want to talk to everyone, and you and you talk to two people because you haven't seen them since COVID, and 
I don't know, it just got away from me. And then I think I smoked a joint and was like, oh, I got to go home. <laughs> Please. I came from <laughs> you know, after the Met. And I was just like, you guys, do I have to come? And they were like, yes. I was like, okay. So, yeah. yeah, I know. Actually, I, that after that night, I was like, I can't do anything after the Met anymore. It's too, it's too crazy because then you have the, all the sponsorship stuff. And it was like, ah. um, but anyway, all right, Sam, really nice talking to you. And uh, please keep in touch. I will. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>